Hello, and welcome back to Think Yourself Healthy Podcast. I'm your host, Heather Barbieri. Before we dive into this episode, I just want to remind you that if you take a screenshot that you're listening and tag us on Instagram, we'll send you a 15% off discount for the eight-week Retrain Your Brain program. Just take a screenshot and tag me at Heather Barbieri RDN. Thanks for listening, and let's get right to it. Hello, everybody. On today's episode of Think Yourself Healthy, we have very special guests. Sarah Alcaldi today. She is better known as the alchemist on all social media. And recently someone had sent me a video of hers that I engaged in and watched. And I was just absolutely mind blown with the information that she had to share. And so I invited her on today to talk to us um, specifically about false light spirituality and the deception of false light spirituality, what this is and how it's kind of working against us and our evolutionary process and raising the vibration and consciousness of, um, of all. So Sarah, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm so excited to be talking about the false light because when I made that video that you're talking about, I was really trying to prioritize because there's so much information about it. And so I will be making follow-up videos, but specifically in a nutshell, the false light is um, a huge polarization going on in the collective psyche to the point where we compartmentalize. So if I had to really give the most concise and to the point explanation of the false light, it would be compartmentalization to such a severe degree that there is absolutely no cognition, no awareness that one entity is mirroring, reflecting the invertedness of the nature of the other entity. And so what we have there is these false light realms, really, Mm -hmm. where we see this huge split, right? Like in religious terminology, that would be called heavenly realms and hell realms. I don't know about you, but as soon as I found out what heaven was, like what, what earth considered heaven, right? I couldn't go to bed at night. Right. I'm like, oh, you people and your standards. Oh, this sucks. Yeah. Like it, it, it was like, it was, it was such an underdeveloped, mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it was just stunted. That's the perfect word. Mm-hmm. It was a stunted version of what higher states of consciousness really reflect. And so because of that religion is the main vessel. It's the main appendages of the false light, but that doesn't mean that other areas aren't touched at all. In fact, you could just look at it as a giant arena. Mm -hmm. So let's say that there's several different entrances into and out of an arena. Mm -hmm. You could look at the false light as having their hands on every single exit and entrance possible. And so one could also say, well, if it is so all-encompassing, so omnipotent, well, then there must be organic qualities to it. And absolutely, one could look at it as we opt into these extreme sorts of dimensions and experiences for the sake of our own evolution and the sake of our own expansion. Mm -hmm. But yet at the same time, a part of that is inherently developing the discernment to see when all of these different flavors of false light are playing themselves out. And so religion is just typically the strongest 
stronghold here mm -hmm. that we see it in, but that doesn't mean that spirituality doesn't have it. In fact, I would say that spirituality is coming out of that fog mm -hmm. is way more open to coming out of that haze that they've been in, in the past mm -hmm. from the false light. We see the spiritual community in general mm -hmm. moving very fast. If we want to consider it along like evolutionary terms, I remember just a decade ago, it was like, ooh, you're the dark girl. Right. If you talk about the shadow. Right. And how, oh, how the tables have turned. Mm -hmm. Oh, how the tables have turned. Now in the spiritual community, everyone's kind of got like a proverbial, like, <laughs> you know, like you, you almost have to talk about the shadow. Right. In order to make sure you don't get called false positivity, toxic positivity, yeah. all those things. Right. Right. But, but Toxic positivity belongs to the false light because that's how the false light feeds. Mm -hmm. They need to feed through a being's blind spot. So they'll play off of your strengths. They'll play off of your weaknesses. If you're a, if you're a well-intended conscious individual, you're not immune to the false light, but it'll work in a way where it can hook into your specific type, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So it might play off of, oh, you're very spiritual. Spiritual people don't act that way mm -hmm. or spiritual people are better. And so, so then you start getting this kind of like compartmentalization, compartmentalization. I have to act super angelic. I can't identify with my humanity. I'm, I'm now in complete shame mm -hmm. of any type of, um, anything that represents my humanness or my mundaneness, or even just, um, on top of that, like something that is like humiliating. Mm -hmm. And so what I would consider the organic light is the stream of consciousness that comes in here and starts to <laughs> clean up all of this <laughs> mess, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, uh, all these different fragmentations that carry on. And the fragmented psyche that is pitted against one another in all of the many ways that you could pit one against other. Mm -hmm. For some people, they'll really get off on the whole like light versus dark. So I'm an angel being of light with my sword that's here to vanquish the dark. And then the dark is like just getting darker because they're feeding off of that fragmentation. Right. So cleaning that mess up, like it, starting to integrate it is literally done through starting to meet all the parts of ourselves that we don't want to look at because that would bring up way too much humiliation mm -hmm. or shame. Mm -hmm. So I think that ultimately it's really having a strong and very loud conversation around, around not carrying the shame, not carrying the guilt with having these darkness parts of us that are very real, that make up our human experience, that we've been kind of conditioned through this false light spirituality to believe that these things are bad or negative um, forces that are impacting our human consciousness or the consciousness of a whole. Does that make sense what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Yeah. It's looking at it from an as within, so without. So if we're it's such a, it's such a fine line because if we go the route inward, mm -hmm. we could get stuck in the, everything is a reflection externally. So if I see something externally, then that means that internally that is, you know, my demonic forces. But the truth of the matter is that 
the nuance here is part of being inside a consensus reality is the fact that other soul streams, other beings or, you know, consciousness units chose into their own experiences. Some of them I would never sign off on. Mm -hmm. Right. And that doesn't mean that I have not played that in another life. Mm -hmm. So while the same time I'm honoring Sarah's personal boundary and personal perception, and I'm going, okay, that is legitimately too dark. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then there's like, there's aspects of darkness where I'm the alchemist. I can take that. Right. And then there's some that try to get through because they're, they're like, Hey, you know, hook through, aren't you an alchemist? Uh -huh. Can't you? And it's like, that is objectively like harming humanity. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I so, And know, yeah, that that's not exactly Sarah's choice or a reflection that could be a reflection of past soul choices I made to play those characters. Mm -hmm. I'm going to leave that open, mm -hmm. but that is my boundary and knowing the nuance between what is ours and what is not, and still taking responsibility and going as deeply as we can within for, even if it's just a little bit that we have resonance with the external reflection that we think that we are you know, completely mm -hmm. not being reflected by. It's still about, you know what, I'm going to not do this because I'm going to gaslight myself. We don't want to gaslight ourselves, but I'm going to see what the common thread is to refine my own integrity and refine my own boundary. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very beautifully, elo just so eloquently spoken, um, that explanation. Thank you very much for that. I appreciate it. And I think that it definitely will resonate with the listeners as well. Um, so, I mean, there's so much to unpack, right? In this conversation, it's like my brain is going, which direction do we want to go? Which direction do we want to go? But one of the things that's important, I think, to address is something that you had just spoke to is this idea right now in humanity, we have so many people with so many different belief systems, so many different pathways and directions that they're going on. And we have this massive awakening that has very quickly accelerated, in my opinion, you know, since the beginning of this pandemic and prior to that. Um, but I think that there's a lot of individuals in the spiritual community who feel a sense of responsibility, that they have to awaken people, right? They have to get them to understand and see their perspective or their point of view. And for me, one of the things that I've really had to come to peace with is the idea that their soul have chosen these lessons. And so ultimately this individual has chosen pain and suffering in this human experience, and they don't want to awaken to their true essence. That's something that they still need as part of their experience. And so I can't hold myself feeling responsible that I have to go out and waken every family member and person that I come into contact with. Does, does that make sense what I'm trying to get at? Totally. So absolutely. So how does the individual who has recently had their awakening experience have somewhat of an understanding of what's really going on here and what's really truly at stake. And they feel an obligation that they want to help others awaken to their truth as well. How do we support them? How do we help guide them without actually interfering into, in their own lessons? 
Okay, all those people, you go on my comments and you fight for me because I don't fight anymore. <laughs> you guys want to do volunteer work? <laughs> <laughs> that's funny because i used to be one of those people i used to be a whole mm-hmm. oh, but you don't know about fluoride right. <laughs> so, and, and you know like i view that as a part of the cycles like it would actually be quite chaotic if everyone woke up at once mm-hmm. so it's actually a part of our developmental stages to come into ourselves with through waves mm-hmm. and so they serve that purpose of being that middle ground because they have a lot of energy within them that they need to exercise and it's pointed typically at people who like don't want it at all Mm -hmm. and so it's this perfect storm because what they're doing whether they know it or not that typically they're not aware they're going through a healing Mm -hmm. they're going through an exorcist really of this built up information that has reached such a threshold that now it's activated these, you know, like more aggressive, more warrior aspects. Mm -hmm. And without that aspect to the whole tapestry, if you will, then what you have is what I would consider, you know, words, they're such a funny thing, but the first wave of ascension Mm -hmm. and the first wave of ascension is really, you know, in the embodiment phase that they're, they're really concerned with being in alignment being within their integrity mm-hmm. internally and without and so because of that it's not like they're clear it's not like they're only focused on themselves and their own healing but they're not they're too matured quite frankly mm-hmm. to be going around and letting everybody else know everything that they had went through you know and mm-hmm. and about all of those things and so the people who have newly awakened have that energy mm-hmm. and you could look at them and this is no bashing, but like, let's call it like half wise. Mm-hmm. It's like, you're not fully baked, homie. That's fine. But what you're doing right now is serving a great purpose because you're acting as that catalyst for um, the next wave of consciousness. Should that be a choice that those people align with. Mm -hmm. So in that first phase of awakening, is this also kind of our way of dropping out our victimhood mentality that's been so programmed and conditioned within us? Absolutely. 100%. As a matter of fact, the first wave of ascension could also just be rephrased as coming out of the victim mentality because there's, it is two worlds apart. Mm -hmm to be victimized and the victim mentality. Mm -hmm. The victim mentality comes from being victimized. They're not, they're not aliens to one another. They're, you know, you could look at it like brothers, but the victim mentality is such a fine line because they're honoring their own victimization, their own trauma, while not identifying themselves as a victim. Mm -hmm. And you could tell This is just one of those, you know, um, standards. You could tell a being like where their consciousness is is at, where their growth's at Mm -hmm. by how victimized they feel Mm -hmm. and their victim mentality. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. I know for myself that the beginning of my true awakening where I was able to embody it for a longer period of time than in previous attempts um, really required me to have to understand the role that I was playing in my own unfortunate, you know, outcomes that 
the patterns, we can call it, that just kept playing out over and over in my reality. And once I was able to take a step back and look at those patterns and say, oh, wait a minute, the only common denominator is myself. So clearly there's something important here that's trying to get my attention in order for me to go to the next level, right? And so by me being able to really embrace that I was embodying that victimhood as a way to keep me stuck, to keep me in that comfort of pain and suffering and not realizing the true purpose that it was serving for me at that time. Um, but this can be a very scary process for people to go through because that's all they've known. That's all they've ever identified with. Absolutely. And so the way that I specifically deal with it is to honor your way all through the process, but make sure you're going through the process because then that's exactly the perfect conditions for a person contorting their reality around their victim mentality rather than truly trying to transcend it. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people might even feed off of, they might, I mean, completely unconscious to them, you right. know, it's innocent in that way, but feed off of the fact that they're so valid in their victimhood. Mm -hmm. Now, if somebody's not ready to step out of the victim mentality, the universe will choreograph the perfect catalyst. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's truly not up to me or, you know, to be like, this person is needing to come out of victimization. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe they need, maybe there's things in there that, you know, like need to be honored and that mm -hmm. could come off as false lighty mm -hmm. to be like, you're, in the victim mentality, you see how the false light can work in all those different right. ways yeah. on the, on the victim end of the spectrum. And then on the other, where they're like overly harsh, like you're in a victim mentality. Right. It's like two sock puppets. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I, and I like to call it, it's kind of like getting stuck in a loop, right? We just keep getting reciphered or stuck in that loop. And that was one of the things in your uh, false light deception video that you had done that you really spoke to. And I thought you did such a great job. Uh, we hear it in terms of things like uh, soul recycling and, um, you know, other, other ways of expressing it. But I thought you did such a great job of really explaining how, how this happens, how we get stuck in this matrix matrix loop. Are you, would you like to talk a little bit about that? I would love to talk about that. Fabulous. <laughs> yeah. So in all these ancient systems, you see one way or another, I, I resonate. I think it's also quite common now to, in the spiritual community, at least to refer to a samsara. Mm -hmm. Okay. You have these ancient systems that convey one way or another, a form of their being let's call it a spiritual amnesia that places the individual or the soul unit in repeated cycles. And so one could look at that as karma, but specifically the, what you're speaking to right now is like karma with a twist. It, it's, 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 there's a nefarious nature mm -hmm. with this recycling um, belief system that I think we can trace back to perhaps narcissism. Mm -hmm. And so, and I'm not saying that that was a Gnostic belief per se, but where its roots or origins are definitely Gnostic. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, so what that, what that 
spiritual system is portraying is the fact that the more a being is in a state of amnesia and to themselves, so it's a spiritual amnesia, is the more that a being is having their free will revoked within the larger scheme of things, meaning um, the free will to consciously not come back to earth or consciously come back to earth, consciously go to wherever their soul stream or higher self feels called to go to or not. And that instead of that conscious decision that comes from a soul's free will, that instead there's this amnesia placed over the soul that forces them to be recycled back into the earth school or earth realm. And then that could come with whatever belief systems that are privy at either that time period or to that being individually, mm -hmm. meaning if it's more of the school of thought of, oh, you have to help earth, then that could be the, the special, you know, system placed over the being once they're in that state of spiritual amnesia. Mm -hmm. So you could look at it almost like, I know this is very bleak, but like a memory, be a soul memory, mm -hmm. not just the being, the soul memory being completely wiped. Mm -hmm. And then from there, you could create whatever story you need to, to insert or imprint on that being. And so um, one of them could even be just the fact that you have to, mm -hmm. it's karmic duty. You have to, that's why in one of my videos, it's, are we forced to come to earth or do we plan our lives? I talk about how a being might heal to the point in one lifetime by accessing so much free will that they might not resonate with the concept of karma at all. Mm -hmm. And they might fly away. And so that is also because I speak to a very large audience that come from different beliefs. So I'm trying to mm -hmm. speak in different terminology to each, you know, touch upon each, but yeah. So it depends on the person's own, um, resonance, mm -hmm. what that thing that gets imprinted on them is, but essentially it could be called like, um, I've heard others, I've heard other, um, belief systems. There, this concept is not just like a new age, like horror story. Right. This is actually, this is actually quite an ancient horror story. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like new age folklore. Right. <laughs> we want to scare ourselves around a campfire. <laughs> it's, it's also like, um, I've heard it portrayed. What I call it <laughs> is the net mm -hmm. because it, it's known as catching souls. Mm -hmm before they're able to build up enough um, velocity, mm -hmm. enough consciousness to catapult outside of the density of earth. So it's portrayed as a net. Mm -hmm. I didn't sleep at night when I found out about the net. <laughs> oh, you poor thing. <laughs> yeah. It's also been known in esoteric Christianity as the eighth sphere. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I could go on. There's yeah. basically a bunch of different spiritual systems that all one way or another are speaking to this type of um, recyclization of the uh, um, against one's free will mm -hmm. into uh, back into the false light. Right, right. Gosh. Yeah, you do a fabulous job of being able to articulate it in a diverse way that isn't intimidating. And I truly appreciate that about your explanations, because 
these are hard things to have conversations around. And because there is so much confusion with, you know, so many different ways of referencing the same thing, people check out, they get very confused. It feels overwhelming. I know when I started my journey into trying to piece all this together and make sense of it, had I had a, you know, a someone like you to reference, it would have been amazing. I would have been like, oh, this, this makes things so easy. So I really appreciate um, your ability to communicate this information and reach the larger masses. Thank you. I, I mean, that's that's the work. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm constantly synthesizing in a way when I'm receiving the information and when I'm compiling it in a way where I'm like, how do I sell it? Yeah. And I don't mean sell it in like a, I need your money way. I mean like a how do I sell this so that they have the right amount of fear? Mm -hmm. I'm not over here trying to sugarcoat things, but I don't put them into powerlessness. Mm -hmm. I don't put them into hopelessness. Um, and, you know, that's a part of the journey. I've been in powerlessness and hopelessness so many times. So if somebody falls into powerlessness or hopelessness, it's not my fault. Right. <laughs> but, but also I don't, I don't want, I want to, I, I truly get great fulfillment from raising people into their sovereignty. Mm -hmm. And so when I deliver the, these concepts, I do the best I can constantly to go, how can I say this in a way where they're mature enough to handle it, but that I'm also not taking their power. Right. Oh, I love that. So ultimately with this awakening process, the, the goal, the end goal is to really be able to step into that spiritual sovereignty to be able to have discernment, to be able to make choices and decisions that are in alignment with our highest self and our, you know, for the greatest good of all. So for the person who's listening and all of this is very new, but something about the conversation or the title of this podcast really resonated and drew them in. In the friendliest way, how can you uh, talk to this idea of spiritual sovereignty? How do we go from where we're at to spiritual sovereignty? We go from where we're at to spiritual sovereignty through discernment. Spiritual sovereignty is discernment and then wisdom, which is just correct action. Mm -hmm. At least from a mystic viewpoint, it's correct action in alignment. And so with that, we're able to be congruent. We have the internal discernment, we're applying it externally, but we're also able to um, take right action. And so when I say right action, it's, a, you know, like, especially I resonate so much, like I have such an affinity with, you know, Buddhist teaching. So it's like, it's like, right, like, come on, come on. You're still in the right realm, but it, but right in this case literally means like we're, we're grounded mm -hmm. because it's so sovereignty is about holding discernment and then taking the actions from that place. Because what happens is if you look at the external world, you could kind of look at it like a domino effect mm -hmm. of apathy, ignorance, and karma. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. And that's what, you know, like cause and effect. Right. So if they're dominoes of a cause and effect, then the reason why there would need to be some sort of like outward reflection or action taken that reflects our sovereignty and our discernment is because that is what would correct the outcome of whatever that domino effect is building up to. Mm -hmm. There can be a negative buildup of that domino effect 
just as much as there can be a positive. And so what I see a lot is that people really want to be able to trust themselves. It's great that they listen to people and no, no woman and man is an island. Mm -hmm. So spiritual sovereignty doesn't mean, no, I have full discernment. I see clearly, I don't need help from anyone, but rather now we're in such a mature consciousness mm -hmm. where we're not scared because what happens on the spiritual awakening journey is we're not in our power, mm -hmm. AKA sovereignty. Mm -hmm. We don't have the full discernment. We don't have the full picture. So we get scared and then we subconsciously resent the fact that we are, we are dependent on other people who seem to be more confident or to seem to have more clarity. Mm -hmm. And so we either up resenting them or we either up worshiping them. Mm -hmm. But these are both just imbalances of a being who feels powerless and not in their own sovereignty. And so the building of discernment, and that's through learning. Mm -hmm. We have to learn what's going on in the world, right? If we think that we're in one world and we're not, we have to align ourselves with truth through how exactly this reality mm -hmm. is operating and then refine that process. Mm -hmm. Well, I was just going to ask in, in, in your opinion, this learning process, is it sort of an unlearning process? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. One of many paradoxes. <laughs> yeah. The learning process is an unlearning process, of course. Right. And I think that that's important for people to recognize because we so get caught up with consumption and we want to consume, consume, consume. And we, and we're, you know, seeking the best, next best quick fix thingy. And ultimately sometimes it's as simple as being able to say, wait a minute, maybe I need to just kind of let go of the attachment to all of this information that I've consumed up to this point that maybe I'm consciously aware of or unconsciously aware of that are shaping my belief systems that are then creating the action that's occurring and the outcomes in my life. So I think that uh, for individuals to kind of embrace this idea of unlearning is just as important as learning. Absolutely. You could look at it like chaos and order. Mm -hmm. We need the chaos to come in to unlearn whatever it whatever faulty programming, you know, needs to be dismantled, whatever limiting beliefs, whatever was imprinted on us, mm -hmm. all that stuff. And then whatever we're left with is you could look at it like a working thesis or like a work in progress. And then that comes in, and that's really alchemy too. Uh -huh. What you're speaking to is alchemy yeah. because it's constant. It, it's like, the, all of the stages are like, all right, let's set it on fire. All right, now let's set it on water. All right, now let's set it on air. All right, now let's set it on fire again. Like it's how many different ways can I, can I get, can I refine this? Mm -hmm. And so it is that process of coming into it. Um, yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. I love that. Thank you for clarification around that concept. So with this idea of being able to step into spiritual sovereignty, ultimately this contributes to the collective consciousness. Yes or no? Yes. <laughs> yes. So can you talk a little bit about that to the audience? Because I think for individuals um, to really get excited about embracing this idea of letting go of victimhood, of letting go of all of the things that they've been so attached to that have made up their belief systems, we got to get them kind of excited. Like, what's the point of all of this work, right? 
So the more that we choose to step into taking responsibility for ourselves, ultimately this helps us get to the end goal a lot quicker, my understanding. Yeah, it makes us happy. <laughs> it gives us true quality of life. It's, put it this way, it's a very weak spirit that clings so heavily and is so invested in the egoic realm, in the realm we're currently in, where we're keeping up with things and we're, you know, a very weak spirit. Mm -hmm. And so the reason I'm calling attention to that is because the majority of beings who, you know, embody soul essence actually no longer start to resonate mm -hmm. with synthetic or super egoic structures internally and externally. And so because of that, yes, there is absolutely a period where once we're dismantling our false persona, mm -hmm. the one that did super resonate with the world around us and the one that was, you know, completely fed by it, mm -hmm. um, there is, there is more quality of life. There is even through the hardships, even through the, you know, like whatever stage a person is awakening, there's actually a deeper quality of life in whatever they're experiencing. Mm -hmm. So for, I'll give you an example. In the egoic state, in the unawakened state, we need big, big things mm -hmm. in, order to, in order to keep that state enticing to us. Mm -hmm. In the unawakened or in, in the awakening state, it's not that we don't need big things anymore, but it's coming from an entirely different energy. Mm -hmm. We appreciate, you know, things differently. We have, we, we perceive things differently. And so because of that, a person's purpose, whatever that might be in, in whatever, you know, vague or acute way that that shows up to a, a person, um, they get more meaning out of that. Mm -hmm. And so that's how all of this adds up to a collective experience where it's positive. It's like, we swear there's a lot of good outcomes. It's, it's not just even in the end product. It's in the getting there because there's like this deep soul fulfillment that a person gets from being in alignment with their soul's essence rather than from where they came from and how much energy it took to sustain that sleep state of consciousness. Mm -hmm. How much energy does it take when a being and I'm not bashing anyone, but I'm just giving a clear example so that people know what I'm talking about. How much energy does it take to look back on a night where people were like, like blackout drunk and going like, oh my God, I have to manage this. I have to manage this. Oh my, like how much energy, mm -hmm. how much shame, how much all these different things, because we weren't properly representing ourselves or we weren't properly in our whatever and stuff. Mm -hmm. So look, I don't care if people drink. I, that's not what my point is, but that's just a clear example of the egoic state takes a lot of energy to sustain itself. <sighs> this is, gosh, you just, uh, uh. That is so beautifully said, and this is so important for people to understand that we have to be really aware of how we are exhausting our energy because that energy is either feeding us and giving us life or it's draining up us of that life. And so this is where the false light has the ability to really come in and work upon all those fragmented pieces of us and drain and drain and drain. Can you speak a little bit about that? 
Yeah. It, 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 everything about it is draining because mm -hmm. you need typically belief systems sustain themselves through fear. That is absolutely draining. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you, <laughs> like if humanity didn't need their belief systems to be based off of fear, that would be like, like aliens would come or like, like everything we wanted would just come right away. Instant manifestations right. of everything. But that's how strong it is. Um, it's enormously draining. And so there has to be all these different ways. You could look at it almost like um, food, mm -hmm. certain flavors of food. The way that the egoic state and therefore the forces that feed off of this organ or um, egoic state operate is they want junk food. Mm -hmm. They want they want the fear. They want the panic. They want the terror. Yep. They want confusion, and confusion is neutral. It's not bad, but mm -hmm. they want the bad kind of confusion. You know, they they want they want these states that are like onto like them. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. So they feed off of those states and that's why we see such a hyper vigilant traumatized nervous system of the collective and mm -hmm. you know our in in our news or in our in, in our political sphere and all of the different spheres that are sustaining that e ego state of separation consciousness of polarization mm -hmm. that's coming from that false stream of compartmentalization that's enormously draining mm -hmm. There's a saying, I, I forget if it's Buddhist or not, but they say that like you reach enlightenment when sh you've absolutely exhausted yourself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense though, doesn't it? Yeah. You're burning out yeah. constantly. Every karmic circuit. Yeah. And I think that it's really coming to a head right now in society. We're seeing it these last three years of this just chronic chaos with no relief and end is just really consuming people and it's forcing them to either step into that awakening and drop out the enslavement of all of these draining systems that have been ciphering their soul essence or they just you know keep going with the flow and contributing to the chaos and and going with that program so in your opinion, I mean, and I'm going to assume, I'm assuming that in your opinion, uh, we get out of this, right? Like there is a way out. <laughs> Come on, Sarah, give me something good. <laughs> now I never said we get out. <laughs> um, absolutely. That's what spiritual sovereignty does. Because honestly, like um, a hermetic term, term is mine. Mm-hmm. I'm not a fan of the term mind because I equate it with mental monkey mind activity. Mm -hmm. But in truth, mind is this name bestowed onto the consciousness streams that are emitting mm -hmm. from, from the nothingness, really, um, that dance between um, the ecstatic state mm -hmm. and the empty state. And so from that point of view, mind is just creative energy, creative essence. Mm -hmm. And that's what we are. Right. So spiritual sovereignty is what allows a being to truly come from love mm -hmm. and the fruits of love. How, how, you know, a being is sovereign. If they're internally sovereign, 
the external emanation of that mm -hmm. is freedom. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if you are internally your own monarch, meaning you are in your proper state of your, your own authority, that external projection is going to be one of freedom mm -hmm. because that's just the inherent alignment of these cosmos. Mm -hmm. So that freedom has more byproducts and that, that freedom is expansiveness. And specifically, it just can be called that freedom is um, love. And so when a being expands enough outside of, you know, all of these different spheres that we go through, then they're untouchable mm -hmm. from these, oh no, you're going to get recycled if this gets wiped or, oh, you can't pass through the net. Well, yeah, if you have your weak spirit, right. <laughs> if you're in your spiritual sovereignty, you have enough what's called Robert Monroe coined the term escape velocity. That's a physics term. Ooh. Naturally, naturally that sound, you know, blame physics. I didn't say it's escape velocity, <laughs> <laughs> but but the escape velocity, which means the enough energy to vibrate beyond the, the fear realms or the belief systems lower than love mm -hmm. is that buildup. The escape velocity is consciousness, which is love. Mm -hmm. So love literally like I'm trying to make love sound scientific because it's been it's been, it sounds, you know, too woo all the time, but love is literally the escape velocity in order, order to catapult a being into higher states of consciousness, AKA above all of these different, very real spiritual systems of belief. And they're real, but also even they taught their own ways in mysticism, mm -hmm. how to um, navigate, how to traverse through them. Okay. So absolutely. Like, whether a being wants to focus their energy here on earth to making the world a better place or whether a being just wants to, you know, anchor in a higher consciousness mm -hmm. past the net, um, they're one in the same. So be, no matter what a being will need to be in their sovereignty. So this is where we can take the age of Aquarius and pull that in. And that is actually really supporting us in terms of humanity's evolutionary process to really have the ability to embrace that creativity and step into that more feminine essence, which ultimately will, will free us. Absolutely. Um, yeah. The age of Aquarius is like what you could look at as like the revelations. Mm -hmm. And so revelations was painted a certain way to control a certain narrative, but in reality, revelations was truly the fact that we are the the revealing is is that we're source mm -hmm. so that narrative needed to get controlled in advance so that certain projection certain timelines would be created no the age of aquarius is revelations and revelations is that we are source experiencing source mm -hmm. ah, so simple i mean you just have such an incredible way of taking this really complex information and just delivering it in a way that is very consumer friendly. You know, I, I just really resonate with, uh, with your style. Not only are you incredibly knowledgeable, but you're absolutely hilarious too. You're, thank you, <laughs> you know, and it just makes it that much more fun. So in general, with everything in our current state, 
where do we go in this moment? How do we support ourselves to support the collective despite it not appearing as if there's much hope for many? <laughs> oh man, I think there's so much hope, but yeah. <laughs> Uh, but I throw Hail Marys. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that's how a person, what, what a person can do best to harness their personal power through, you know, feeling hopeless or seeing such an unconscious world around them is by really focusing on what gives them life force. Mm -hmm. Because so much of our own journey goes through parts where we have paralyzed willpower. Mm-hmm like full-blown paralyzed willpower because we have a new will that's being birthed. Mm -hmm. That's opposite of what we were focused on before we awakened. And so, so much of our willpower gets shut down and opening that up in whatever way a person can mm -hmm. is the best steps they can take for within and for without, because whatever they're going to be doing that is to them, opening up their willpower or giving them life force, as I was first using that term, mm -hmm. is going to be whatever is super beneficial for the world around them. Mm -hmm. There was a point in my own journey where I had no will and I couldn't even picture what travel would look like. Like I would picture like one street if somebody said like a country, because like to me, like it was like, no, there's no, there's no fun here. But then I started writing my own poetry and I still to this day get people telling me that my poems got them through the hardest and, and oh. I never wrote it oh, for them. Wow. I never wrote it to get people through things. Wow, that's amazing. That's really beautiful. So whatever somebody gets life force from mm -hmm. is in ways they might not even be able to picture going to impact and affect people around them. Mm -hmm. So this life force, could we also potentially use the same word passion? Could, could passion be interchangeable for this life force? The reason why I, I say life force rather than passion, mm -hmm. but yes, they can be looked at as the same is because people have a lot of pressure when it comes to passion. Mm -hmm. They have musical chair vibes. Like if you use the word passion, what you're bringing out in them is a desperate housewife. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> They go, oh, I didn't find my passion. I didn't find my, everyone sitting down in the chair, but me, the music's off. So I just say, what gives you life force? Mm -hmm. Because that might be their passion. It might not be their passion, mm -hmm. but what they're drawing life force from, they might like a thread pull and pull. And then it might be like, oh my God, I have so much passion for this. Or it might be something that shifts them to their passion, mm -hmm. but passion is life force absolutely, but life force comes with less pressure. Okay. So then in that sense, can we use life force and purpose to, to kind of be interchangeable? I like that too, but purpose comes with too much pressure. Okay. No, I love it. I think it's important for us to talk about this, to really have clarification absolutely. because society has created standards that we interpret as passion and purpose. And so that's where, in my opinion, a lot of the confusion and distortion comes in that keeps people from being able to take the action. Like yesterday, I was at one of the facilities that I educate at, and we were doing a somatic healing activation and talking about, you know, um, being in alignment of our true selves. And this individual said to me, 
So me having to finish school because that's what my dad wants, does that go against like my alignment? And I was like, oh, such a great question because absolutely, yes. Part of the reason that this individual is suffering so immensely from anxiety and depression is because they have created an expectation based on someone else's belief system of who they are supposed to be. And so as they're trying to go through the motions of being that, thinking that's what their purpose and, and you know, um, passion is, ultimately it's not. And they're taking that information and interpreting it as a massive failure. Right. And that's why I feel like purpose is something that is always going to mutate mm-hmm. as we evolve. Mm-hmm. And so like at one point I thought my purpose was to be a spoken word poet. Mm-hmm. Which and which you kind of play out on a regular basis in a sense, right? Yeah. And who would have thought that, oh, my guides, let's get her to like poetry so she could be a better talker. Right. (laughs) Right. So, yeah, you never know what what one chapter of our life might be building upon Mm -hmm. for a a larger medium Mm -hmm. and then a larger and then who knows, you know. So I like to say life force because life force doesn't come with so much pressure. And people might fall into their purpose or fall into their passion by exploring life force rather than these larger concepts that sometimes feel like it's too much to um, be able to grasp. Mm -hmm. I love that. And every time I hear you say the word life force, it just keeps bringing this vision to me. Earlier, when you mentioned uh, something about nutrition, food, and how, you know, we're, we navigate towards this junk food, we desire all of these really bad things. And as a registered dietitian nutritionist, this is kind of my jam, right? Like, this is where I like to really pull people in to help them have an understanding of why so that we can drop out the judgment and the shame around what we call our free will choices And when an individual is vibrating at this lower frequency where their life force is being ciphered from all of these false light systems, their cells need a a vibrational match. And so all of that life force is being drained. That cell needs a vibrational match of dead loss of energy food which is why we tend to navigate towards these refined processed foods, in my opinion, um, because it works. It's a, it's a vibrational match. It's a frequency match. And so if we want to help support our elevating that mood and energy, we can start to nourish the body by putting those whole food energy containing things in, or we can start to approach the whole healing of the trauma. And as we raise the vibrational frequency that way, we start to navigate towards wanting to nourish the body with those healthier foods. So when you speak to life force, that's one of the things that comes to mind for me and how that relates to nutrition and why we tend to crave these undesirable junk foods. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I don't know if you're aware of this, but I had multiple autoimmune Mm. I was multiple autoimmune issues um, that I've healed. Mm, beautiful. In, in, like serious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it was through needing to be, co- needing to move away from the Western paradigm mm-hmm. 
That didn't mean the alternative paradigm immediately came in and saved me, but sifting through that and learning how to be my own sovereign, learning how to become my own doctor, and then finding those capable Mm -hmm. of, you know, helping me, Mm -hmm. but not being fully dependent on them at the same time and learning like so much. I am such a huge, like everything is about health to me. So yeah. I love that. And similar to your experience, that is kind of what catapulted my awakening experience at the age of 18. I was told I had an autoimmune kidney disease, only had five years to live and that there was nothing I could do to change that prognosis. And then on top of having this diagnosis, then I get told I can't get health insurance now because of the disease. And so ultimately, this was, you know, the biggest blessing in disguise in the moment I was devastated, but not realizing how all of this was happening for me to set the trajectory of my life course moving forward. And so truly, it was a a huge gift, right? And this is why it's so important, despite what the circumstances seem in the moment, we have to always see the lesson and the blessings and everything that is happening for us because it's opportunities that are going to lead us to that, that life force, that fulfillment. But I'm curious. So once you started leaning into the nutrition and really nourishing the body, did you see an elevation in your consciousness occurring parallel with that, like alongside that? Yeah, because before I was just in like a lucid, mm-hmm. I'd go into a store and I would be out of body mm-hmm. immediately. Mm-hmm. Like I was like in this lucidness. That's why when a lot of people come to me for like Ascension symptoms, I'm like, are you sure? Before we go to Ascension symptoms, are you sure it's not parasites? <laughs> <laughs> You know, a lot of ascension symptoms mirror just basic things that we weren't taking care of in our body. Right. And so then we put a spiritual name to. <laughs> right. Oh. I mean, I like would, wouldn't even eat <laughs> like because I knew now mm-hmm. I, I, I used to have Hashimoto's. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know that at the time. So at the time when I felt like eating, mm-hmm. Basically, my whole endocrine system was so distorted that I didn't always get the cues mm-hmm. from my, um, from what is it, the thalamus that I'm hungry. Right. Because I had turned, uh, I had basically turned off the body signals to tell me to eat. Right. And so, you know, I'd have like a great, you know, like meal once or twice a day, but I did not care about Mm -hmm. blood sugar. Right. I did not value things like blood sugar. Now, are you kidding? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Blood sugar. So a lot of times when I'm talking to people about ascension symptoms, I'm all, do you know what blood sugar is? Yeah. I love (laughs) that. I love it. I think there's just so much opportunity for individuals to open up that awakening process through attending to their lifestyle habits and really being honest with themselves about what that looks like and where there is potential opportunity for tweaking and making some modifications that will have a significant impact on their overall consciousness um, that, you know, builds that momentum in my opinion. So that's exciting to hear you speak to that as well. Oh, are like tenfold because a being, if you look at it, like, especially, you know, beings that are interested in consciousness, they're more receptive to the energies that are, you know, propelling us into those higher states. Right. And so a more being is concerned with their own health. Mm -hmm. You could look at it like 
the more a being is able to receive the upgrades that are always available to them, mm. but that they couldn't carry out because their physical vessel oh. was not able to withstand that level of stimulation. Oh, that is so beautifully said. That right there is going to be a quote that I will use for when we promote this episode. But honestly, that's it. I mean, so beautiful and so purposeful. Oh. Sarah, you are just such a wealth of knowledge. It has truly been such a pleasure to have you on the show today and get to talk about some of these very woo-woo, very confusing, intimidating topics that I think you just do such an incredible job of really simplifying and making it consumer friendly so that it can motivate others to take some action and start making some changes in their life that are going to help them reach their their, you know, full potential and alignment with full self. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It has truly been a pleasure. Sarah, where can the audience find you? How can they reach out and connect with you um, after they've listened to today's episode? You can find me on YouTube. I'm at official the alchemist, or you could just type in the alchemist and my content will show up on Instagram. I'm the dot alchemist. And on TikTok, I'm barely on that, but I think I'm the dot alchemist underscore. Perfect. Well, I will make sure to note all of that in the show notes so it makes it easy for individuals to find you. But thank you again for being on the show. It truly was a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Think Yourself Healthy podcast. Do me a favor. And if you loved this episode, please go leave a review. Reviews help make sure that this content reaches more people so that we can continue to heal as a collective. Remember to take a screenshot that you're listening and tag us on Instagram at Heather Barbieri RDN for a 15% discount on the Retrain Your Brain program. See you next time.